listening to KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, and this is KZSU Central, the Relatively Roundtable, our weekly news roundup and interview show on stories that matter to you. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. I'm Ken Durr. And I'm Darlene Franklin. We're back for another year, and... uh, I'm just super excited to to be doing this again with you, Darlene. Yes, I'm so excited too. Yay! So for the new year. Yeah. So coming up later in this hour, we speak with campus community members as we take a deeper look into their efforts to keep Chanel Miller's 2015 campus assault in the public memory. But first, here's the very latest from the Stanford Daily. CS lecturer Marty Stepp has resigned following an investigation in progress into allegations of sexual misconduct involving multiple students. The investigation examines potential violations of university policy, which states that teachers and undergraduates may not have sexual or romantic relationships regardless of whether or not they are consensual, due to the, quote, inherent unequal positioning of a teacher and a student. An individual familiar with the investigation who was granted anonymity for fear of retaliation said that the sexual activity between the complainants and Step had occurred during closed-door office hours for Step's CS-106B class during the fall of 2018. By May of this year, the Title IX office had issued a, quote, no-contact instruction to Step, a measure the office uses to prevent accused parties, Step, from interacting with complainants in person or through phone calls, email, text messaging, written communication, or social media. Additionally, Step was also directed not to come to campus. Step, who has been teaching at Stanford since 2014 and well-known for his casual teaching style and friendliness with his students, did not respond to the Daily's multiple requests for comment. The investigation, which began in May, will continue despite his resignation. That story from Elena Shaw and Charlie Kernan. The Daily's Daniel Martinez-Krams reports that Governor Gavin Newsom this week signed a bill for students to receive compensation for their likeness. The Fair Pay-to-Play Act, Senate Bill 206, would make it illegal for universities to rescind athletes' scholarships if they seek compensation or professional representation. In a statement, Governor Gavin Newsom declared that, quote, collegiate student-athletes put everything on the line, their physical health, future career, prospects, and years of their lives to compete. Colleges reap billions from these student-athlete sacrifices and success, but, in the same breath, block them from earning a single dollar. That's a bankrupt model, one that puts institutions ahead of the students they are supposed to serve. It needs to be disrupted." End quote. If it passes through challenges from courts, the Fair Pay-to-Play Act would come into effect on January 1st, 2023. Outside Fraternity Kappa Sigma last Friday night during the Euro Trash party, a student allegedly assaulted a police officer, resulting in an arrest along with, quote, serious bodily injury to the cop. The Fountain Hopper reported that around 10.30 p.m., an individual likely under the influence of alcohol and or a controlled substance was arrested for resisting a police officer. An eyewitness account told the Fountain Hopper that the individuals involved were transported to the hospital. No further details on the incident have been released. The decision for the Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard University case, which was tried last fall, was delivered in favor of Harvard on Tuesday. 
The Daily's Sean Lee reports that the plaintiffs, the Students for Fair Admissions group, alleged that Harvard discriminated against Asian American applicants by favoring black and Hispanic applicants in their admissions process. However, U.S. District Court Judge Allison Burroughs stated in her decision that, quote, the court finds no persuasive documentary evidence of any racial ami- racial or conscious prejudice against Asian Americans in the pro- uh, administration's process at Harvard. Stanford, one of 15 universities which filed an amicus brief last November in support of Harvard's college admissions process, was, quote, gratified by the ruling, according to university spokesperson E.J. Miranda. Burroughs conceded that Harvard's admissions program is, quote, not perfect, but ultimately found that Harvard's admission process, quote, passes constitutional muster in regards to affirmative action. The case is fully expected to be appealed, according to the New York Times, and is expected to make its way to the Supreme Court. Stanford's 2018 General Use Permit GUP application awaits a decision from the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors. The 3.5 million square foot construction plan to be realized over the next 16 years has already been approved by Santa Clara County's professional planning staff and planning commission. Stanford has agreed to take measures to mitigate the impacts of its expansion on housing, traffic, school districts, and surrounding neighborhoods. But several points of contention remain between the county and Stanford, including municipal services, payments to mitigate traffic impacts, development of recreational areas on campus, and university child care services. The university says it is optimistic about its ability to find a viable solution for all stakeholders in time for the review process later this fall. That story from Nicholas Midler. The new Stanford Hospital is open is expected to open on November 17th as an institution that will combine medical procedure with a therapeutic environment designed to make the process of treatment more comfortable for patients, says the Daily's Andrew Tan. The hospital, which stands at 824,000 square feet with a three-level atrium topped by a 120-foot diameter glass dome, will replace the existing Stanford Hospital, which is not compliant with the Office of Statewide Health Planning and Development Earthquake Code. The new hospital is designed above, quote, base isolators that allow the building to shift three feet in any direction in the event of an earthquake and withstand shaking up to an 8.0 magnitude earthquake. It is classified as Structural Performance Category 5, or SPC-5, the California Health and Planning Department's highest level of seismic safety. But despite meeting earthquake code, the hospital also introduces the addition of 368 new and entirely private patient rooms to the new hospital, which brings the campus total to about 600. Rooms from the 4th to 7th floors will be stocked with televisions, iPads, and personal bathrooms. All this comes in an effort to make hospital visits less stressful and more streamlined and pleasant. In local news, Ghost Ship Warehouse Master Tenant Derek Almena will face a retrial after Alameda County prosecutors moved forward with the case following a mistrial due to a hung jury earlier this month. According to KQED, Judge Trina Thompson has set a new trial date for March 30, 2020. Almena is charged with 36 counts of involuntary manslaughter for the deaths of three dozen individuals following the deadly 2016 fire that burned through the Oakland warehouse. San Francisco District Attorney George Gascon announced Thursday that he is resigning and moving to Los Angeles, likely in hopes of running for the top prosecutor job there. 
According to the San Francisco Chronicle, Gascon's resignation, effective October 18th, comes three weeks before San Francisco residents vote on a successor to his role. San Francisco Mayor London Breed has since appointed Susie Loftus as interim district attorney. Fleet Week begins this Sunday, and the annual military showcase features attractions all through next week and culminates in the Blue Angels Air Show next weekend. NBC Bay Area reports that up to one million people are expected to attend the spectacle in San Francisco, so the city's Department of Emergency Management has advised attendees to register for the event, for, register for emergency text alerts for the events on their phones. And if you see something, say something and allow extra time and consider using public transit to get to your destination. Stocks today surging after a September jobs report showed unemployment rates falling to a five-decade low of 3.5%, the three major indices all rising about 1.4% each. The Dow Jones Industrial Average climbed 372 points to 26,573, NASDAQ up 110 points to 7,982, and the S&P 500 up 41 points to 29.52. And as for your Bay Area weather, 75 degrees right now here at Stanford under clear, sunny skies with sunset tonight at about 6.46 p.m. Elsewhere in the Bay Area, we're seeing mid to upper 60s along the coast, low 70s by the Bay to the mid to upper 70s in the Inland Valleys right now. We saw some pretty cool temperatures, especially in the mornings over the past week, but if you thought fall was fully upon us, then that and that it was time to put away those um, summer clothing, you'll be pretty surprised by the next few days. Today was the beginning of a warming trend that is expected to last through at least the beginning of next week with the warmest day on Monday. Highs over the weekend expected to reach the low to mid-70s along the coast, 80s around the bay, and into the low 90s inland. We're going to cool to milder but still slightly warm temperatures by next weekend, and you can expect overnight lows to be in the much milder 50s instead of the 40s that we saw earlier this week. And into our more in-depth Stanford stories now, our Laili Rizvani reports that a new Stanford core program focusing on civic education and global citizenship will replace the thinking matters requirements for freshman students beginning next year, pending the approval of the faculty senate. The proposal was detailed in a report from a design team of faculty members that included Senior Associate Vice Provost for Teaching Sarah Church and Stanford Introductory Studies Faculty Director Dan Edelstein. The recommendations, according to University President Mark Tessie Levine, are guided by themes of optimism and responsibility and would help students, quote, develop the new ideas that will address the pressing issues facing our country and our planet. The proposal comes after the report discovered that students intent on declaring competitive STEM majors found it increasingly difficult to do so without completing STEM-heavy prerequisite courses during freshman year. Thus, the core program will address a growing number of entering freshmen who have not taken AP classes, as it will provide a similar first year for all students that that will feature increased accessibility to liberal arts knowledge and opportunities to explore other majors. According to Edelstein and Church, students compromise academic exploration to maintain a higher grade point average. Church describes it as a, quote, more intentional approach to freshman year that examines what it means to be a global citizen through various lens. The core program is expected to cost the university $4.7 million per year, nearly twice the current cost of the Thinking Matters program. 
since it will be implemented across all three quarters as opposed to just one. The changes will not affect current students or students enro enrolled in SLE, Italic, or ESF. The faculty-led Future of the Major Design team released a proposal that would require all university majors range from 60 to 95 units and include a capstone project, also pending approval by the Faculty Senate in the winter quarter. Like the core program, these measures are aimed at increasing accessibility and engagement in the liberal arts. If approved, the changes will take effect for the class of 2024. Design team co-chair R. Lanier Anderson says that the proposal hopes to balance depth and breadth, stating that it is impossible to make undergraduate students experts in a field in four years. The proposal provides first-hand, in-depth experience for students to think about themselves with the tools of the discipline. If implemented, the intention is for students with or without AP credit to feel confident with any major, while being provided with the opportunity to explore other fields their freshman year and study abroad during their time here at Stanford. The recommendation will also feature a major declaration week to foster community within departments and streamline the declaration process, along with a mandatory senior capstone. They may uh, come in the form of a project-based team project, arts performance, service project, or comprehensive exam, depending on the student and department. Currently, departments have the say over the academic requirements of the respective majors, and thus they vary in how many units are required for each. However, students worry that the proposal could result in classes simply being marked down in units, while the overall workload remains the same, Also, that departments can fulfill the lower unit cap. Undergraduate Senate Executive Vice President Isaiah Drummond, however, says that the design team has already addressed this concern and urged departments and programs to be reported if they violate the university's unit of credit policy. The change is expected to cost the university an additional 7 to $10 million annually and includes costs for hiring new faculty, supporting graduate students to help with undergraduates with capstone research, and providing students with grants for their capstone. And that's it for your news roundup from the Stanford Daily this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at RelativelyRound for the very latest on our programming updates and our guests that are coming in each week. And we'll get to those guests, this week's guests, in just a moment after the break.
Unconscious, intoxicated woman. Emily Doe. That was how the media described the young woman who was sexually assaulted by Stanford swimmer Brock Turner at a campus fraternity back in 2015. Four years later, after a controversial court case that sparked national outcry and a victim impact statement that went viral, she released a memoir documenting her harrowing journey entitled Know My Name. And her name? Chanel Miller. Here on campus, students and teachers alike have rallied together in various efforts with the intention of getting community members to know her name. Joining us at the Relatively Roundtable now are former ASSU President Shanta Katapamula, and uh, who hosted a table event, f- tabling event for the release of Miller's memoir. Corley, the co-technical director of the augmented reality app Dear Visitor, that lets users see the words of Miller at the location where her assault occurred, and professor of comparative literature, Dr. David Palumbo-Liu, who penned an op-ed in the Daily calling for Know My Name to be featured as one of the three books in the, in the three books program. Thank you so much to all three of you for coming in this afternoon. Thank you for having us. Thanks Thank you, Ken. Us. So, Shanta, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your tabling event that you hosted and the response that you received from the community. Yeah, absolutely. I think we had a couple of goals that we were hoping to achieve. Um, The first is recognizing that a lot of the people who are on this campus now, especially, you know, our new freshmen who were just two days into school when her book was released, um, weren't here at the time of her assault, weren't here when her victim impact statement went viral. Um, and I I myself wasn't here when she was assaulted. That's how far we've come now. Um, I'm a co-term student, and so I was here when her statement went viral. That was my freshman year, right at the end of the year. Um, and so I felt that it was really important for our community to be educated on what had happened here. I think a lot of times, um, a lot of institutions, not just Stanford, they rely on the fact that there's student turnover every four years. Um, And so they assume that once those students leave campus, those issues will die down. And it's really important to keep that institutional memory alive. So that was our first goal, is to make sure people know um, Chanel Miller's name, know her story, know the injustices that she faced on this campus. Um, And then we also wanted 
people to support her um, once they knew her story. And so there's a couple ways that we um, asked people to support her. The first was if people had the financial means to do so, to purchase a copy of her book at the Stanford Bookstore. Um, and a lot of people did. They were briefly out of stock for a little bit on that first day, um, which is uh, pretty incredible. Um, and then we also wanted people to um, support her by acknowledging the power of her words. Um, Stanford had agreed to place a plaque at the site of her assault that used a choice of her words from her victim impact statement. And they later went back on that agreement. Um, and we had a petition asking people to support Chanel Miller and to support um having that plaque actually installed with her choice of words, not Stanford's whitewashed version of what had happened there. Um, and so we had people there signing the petition. We now have over 1,700 signatures on that petition. Um, and then the final thing that we asked people to do was to fill White Plaza with her words, um, to take space um, on her behalf on this campus and really acknowledge the power of her words, acknowledge that words really do matter, um, which is something that you know Stanford just doesn't seem to get. Koi, is your Dear Visitor app designed to be a replacement of that physical plaque? No, not at all. We we believe that this plaque, uh, this digital plaque, in mm. a sense, uh, is the best we can do um, as students uh, with the tools we have because the administration uh, holds the power to install the physical plaque. And we believe that the digital plaque is kind of a, a stepping stone, a, a guide to kind of show people uh, and highlight the fact that... Um, you know this plaque should be here um, and when pe once people see the plaque in augmented reality it's very uh, unsettling to be in that garden without the plaque mm. so what you're saying is like it's a stand-in just so that people who are visiting the area right now have that more immediate a realization of where they are on campus exactly yes okay um, talk a little bit about the functionality of the, of the app and the team that was involved in putting it together. Yeah, so um, I worked on this project with um, my friends Kyle Chen and Hope Schroeder, uh, who both just graduated last May, uh, and we were part of the leadership team for uh, Stanford XR, which is Stanford's virtual and augmented reality club. And we realized that there's really no medium in which, at a physical location, people can visualize real objects. And um, we realized that augmented reality was that medium, and we were probably one of the only uh, people on campus who are capable of building uh, an application within that medium. And so when you are physically in the garden that Stanford built, um, you can use an iPad or iPhone to see the a digital version of both of the plaques um, that Chanel Miller proposed uh, as if they were really there. And you can actually hear her voice reading those plaques to wow. you. Okay. And then uh, also listen to various student stories about how much Chanel Miller's words in that space would mean to them. So you, you use her actual words, her actual audio clips. Did you get her to work with you in, in the design of this app? 
So we were able to run the app by her for approval as well as connect with her to, we have her permission to use the audio recordings from the 60 Minutes interview. Got it. Okay. Um, Professor, what is the Three Books program and how do you envision Know My Name fitting into that program? Well, um, before I answer that question, I just wanted to add on to what Koi said, which is that when you go to, um, when you use that app, Mm -hmm. you hear not only Chanel's voice, but you also read the words of many other students. And I think that's very important because I think we see this as a community event that's not just focusing on one person, but rather an issue that I think will unfortunately abide. Uh, the Three Books program is meant to have, um, meant to instill a common reading experience across the incoming class. And each year a faculty member is nominated or appointed to name their three books. And so we felt that this was another way to put the um, words of Chanel Miller out before um, a larger audience. We too don't feel that it's an adequate substitute by any means for a permanent plaque, but it's our way of educating students not only to issues of sexual violence, the judicial system, institutional betrayal, but also of a, a story of a remarkable individual who bore all of that and came out uh, with courage and a sense of self that's inspiring. And so we feel that it, as well as any book, could possibly fulfill the function of giving students not only a common experience, but what what I feel and what we feel is a necessary experience. And I know there's been some talk that, well, we shouldn't have mandate the students read a book that might be triggering the same um, rationale that the provost gave about the permanent plaque. And our response is this, to begin with, if you look at the list of books that Stanford has required students to read, there are a lot that are, are uh, they're amazing books, but they do contain graphic violence, scenes of abortion, genocide. And so if Stanford feels that it's not only acceptable, but useful that students be exposed to that kind of, those kinds of issues, and furthermore be able to discuss them, I think that there's no reason in the world why we shouldn't read Know My Name. So what are your next steps to getting that book into there? Do you have to become the faculty member that, that leads the, uh, the three books, or, or how does that work out? Well, I think um, right now, and our petition has closing on 800 signatures, is to um, create the sense on campus that this is something that the community wants, and so that whoever is appointed as that uh, faculty member will hear that message clearly, and we can reach out to them once we know who they are, and we'd be happy to meet with them to explain why we would want them to think this as one of the three books. Let's switch gears a little into a more of a roundtable discussion. I'd like to ask, what inspired each one of you uh, to take on your respective roles? What made you want to take this on? I guess for me, you know, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think we get caught in these cycles of activism on campus um, where it honestly is very hard to preserve institutional memory as a student, right? You do your four years here and then quite often you want to leave and have nothing to do with this place. Um, and so, you know, the this, this system is not designed 
for students to be able to succeed in getting their demands heard. Um, and so I think in spite of that, we have to keep coming together and keep bringing um, a common understanding of the history of our campus so that we make sure that we are learning from what has come before us. Um, and so, again, as a co-term student, I thought this would be you know, a quiet year, would keep my <laughs> head you know, just underground, get my studies done. Um, but I was involved in the last time we had a petition, the last time we had a rally um, asking Stanford to have a plaque with Chanel's choice of words rather than Stanford's version. Um, and so having been involved in the effort before, to me, I couldn't sit by, you know, off on the sidelines and um, not be involved. Um, and I, I know that her words have had a profound impact just on me personally. Um, and I see it as a huge injustice that's happening on this campus. And I think um, it would, it would be wrong for me to not say something. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Shanta. A lot of the inspiration for, for us was um, definitely to try and uh, collect and pass on um, collective memory of students' experiences in this space and how Chanel Miller's words would mean to them in this space. Um, we originally received a grant to use augmented reality to reimagine Confederate monuments in the American South, and we were looking for a space nearby to kind of prototype um, augmented reality as a as a medium for controversial topics in public spaces. Uh, and growing up, I worked with my mom and my aunt a lot. They both run nonprofits helping. Um, sex trafficking victims in Southeast Asia. And so I think the issue of sexual assault uh, meant a lot to me. And I realized uh, we have a garden here on campus that doesn't look the way it should. And we can use this technology, something that only has come around in the last couple of years, to allow people to see what we think it should look like. Well, in my case, I've been interested and concerned about the issue of sexual harassment and sexual violence for a very long time. Um, I also am an educator, and I feel that this is a university, and we should be able to talk about these things in a frank manner. And it was interesting you mentioned the first-year curriculum and the discussion going around there. And I think that um, the labels that they lose, citizenship, um, freedom, and all these things are fine as long as they're approached um, critically, that they shouldn't be assumptions that democracy and freedom and all these things look the same to everybody. So I, I want to create an educational experience around this very important issue. And uh, to the disappointment of some folks, I'm a tenured faculty member. I'm not going anyplace. And I continue to, and I think it's incumbent upon the faculty to make sure that there's a constant presence that will remind um, uh, both uh, students, but also administrators and other faculty, that these issues, unfortunately, are not going to go away, and they're not going to disappear with the news cycle. And it's incumbent upon us, not only as intellectuals, but also as ethical members of a community to make sure that these issues never um, get silenced. 
Why is it important for us to keep Chanel Miller in the public memory and in the public awareness? And, and what efforts might each one of your efforts have on the greater community? Well, I'll go because there's a greater silence. <laughs> I think that the greater community um, doesn't need to be tuned into this issue through us because 15 million people around the world read the victim impact statement and it registered profoundly with them. It was read into the uh, congressional record. Um, so I think that the community is already invested in it. And one of the things that's it's really important to get out there, of course, is that Chanel was not a Stanford student. But since the attack happened here, so many people globally, but most especially at Stanford, have taken it upon themselves to atone for what happened and to make sure that Chanel knows that she's not alone. And so it's a specific and particularly horrific case that we're focusing on, but it has ramifications globally, obviously. And so we're reaching out to uh, a broad community that's already sensitive to these issues and letting them know that we care and that their caring will be, um, is supporting us. So it's, it's a two-directional um, phenomenon. I think that message of caring that you just talked about is so important. Um, not just as we think about Chanel Miller, but as we think about um, survivors everywhere. Um, obviously, no two people have the same experience, but a lot of the challenges that um, survivors go through in the aftermath of their trauma is similar. Um, and oftentimes people struggle with guilt. People struggle with this like victim blaming that society imposes on them. Um, and I think for us to come together as a community to elevate Chanel Miller's voice, to make it clear that we support her, we believe her, she's not alone in this experience, um, sends a message not just to her, but it sends a message to every survivor out there that if you do come forward, there is a place for you here. We believe you. We have your back. Regardless of what this institution or any other institution may choose to do as a community, we will support you. Um, and I think for people who have undergone trauma, who have undergone, um, you know, any experience with sexual violence, that's something that you don't always internalize. And so I think just reinforcing that message is crucial. And so it's not, to me, uh, necessary that we have to talk about Chanel Miller, you know, for the next thousand years, but elevating her voice is a way to elevate every survivor's voice um, in the community conscience. Yeah, and I think that it's the the plaque brings a lot of power to other survivors when uh, you know during our event when people come to the garden to the place where Chanel was assaulted and he, are able to hear Chanel speak to them these empowering words um, from her experience. You know, you took away my voice until today um, and that really speaks to people on this uh, on this campus when they're sitting there in the place where she was assaulted and what's really I think um, powerful is that uh, we had several freshmen come to the tabling event and the augmented reality experience and 
they had a very positive response like I never knew anything about this and um, I, I feel the power of her words uh, speaking to me now and uh, and that generation being able to remember her words and remember the student stories about this space um, I think are a huge impact for this community. If I could just add on to uh, what we've been saying, um, we've concentrated on Chanel's case and past um, acts, but I'd also like to take this as a learning experience and as a moment where we can look toward the future because Stanford right now seems to be hamstrung about dealing with the plaque, mm -hmm. but it can do so much more in terms of looking forward to prevent sexual violence and to educate people about the nature of violence in general. We, in this country right now, we are in the throes of this dividing between who counts and who doesn't count. And so I would like to ask Stanford to step forward and to act positively toward um, educating people about where this hatred comes from, how to uh, discuss it, and how to make sure that fewer and fewer cases like this or hopefully none occur in the future. Have you drawn any conclusions as to why the university is so reluctant to to approve her actual the words that she wants on the plaque? I mean there's the reasons that they've given, right? So the first one was rejected because they didn't want to indict or condemn any particular individual here, mm. in this case, Brock Turner, who was convicted in a court of law, right? Um, that's who they don't you know, right. want to condemn. Um, and in the second case, they felt that it would be um, triggering to triggering. individuals. Um, and it's interesting because we, when we were tabling and at the event, we had both quotes up and a lot of people when they heard that that second quote was rejected because it would be triggering a lot of people had the opposite reaction they found it to be quite empowering um, so those are the reasons that they've given um, I think if you look at some of the alternatives that they suggested um, in conjunction with the reasons I think it's easy to see that they want to protect their brand they want to protect their image they don't want to admit that sexual violence is as significant of a problem here as it really is. Um, and I mean, obviously, I'm not in the head of the provost. I don't know exactly what she thinks, but this is how I interpret the version of events that's happened. Yeah. And if, if, if you're interpreting that w it that way, then it's very likely that the community in general is also interpreting it that way as well. Mm -hmm. So what are the barriers to getting that plaque and what are the next steps that 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 you guys will take or or interested community members might be able to take to join you? Yeah, so after the augmented reality experience, visitors were invited to write a letter of their own um, to future visitors to the site to tell the future generations that come here what it does this garden mean and why should Chanel's uh, words be here uh, and so we've aggregated those letters and we're going to um, publish them online on our website and share them with Chanel as well as the administration so that the administration really understands why students need this plaque here because I think um, at this point the administration clearly 
doesn't uh, have Chanel's needs in mind and perhaps maybe having centering student the student experience will help convince them I think there's tremendous energy behind this and it's going to morph it's going to change it's going to continue though and I do want to say something about the triggering uh, alibi which is that a faculty member female faculty member wrote me and she said I don't believe this idea of triggering because what's triggering to me is sitting here watching an administration censoring a student and a victim of sexual assault, and I feel like I'm in hostile territory. So I think that's something that the administration needs to hear. Absolutely. All right. Well, that concludes our conversation with uh, Koi, Shanta, and Professor regarding the efforts to, on campus to raise uh, and, 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 and keep public memory of Chanel Miller um, in the public sphere. So thank you so much for, for coming in this afternoon on a Friday afternoon. Um, and we'll have your contact information published online too, just so that our listeners have the opportunity to reach out to each one of you with any ideas or any concerns that they may have. So thank you again for coming in. Thank you, Thanks Ken. for having us. And now we transition back to Darlene where we're having a conversation on transitioning. Yes, we are going to hear from you on campus, and um, I got to chat with some of you today about what it was like, what's it been like for you going into week two um, to come back into the academic year. So we'll go to music, and then we'll get to hear from you.
You're listening to KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. This is KZSU Central, the Relatively Roundtable. And to everyone on campus, welcome back. It's the end of week two. So um, here we we like to hear from you. So um, during our shows on Friday, we usually have gone out to just ask questions about what's going on in your life and um, the times. And so today we hear... What's it like for you to come back and transition into this new academic year? This week's question is your transition coming to campus what's been happening how's that going how are you handling it (laughs) it's been really rocky but I feel like it's finally like smoothing out now um going from like doing literally nothing to doing like everything is always like a little bit of a shock but it's one that I'm like happy to be a part of so yeah it was like having like an ongoing to-do list that doesn't really seem to have an end but like happily adding more tasks to it and like taking things off so it was a little bit like I don't know how to like explain it beyond that where like I have I suddenly became one of the most like organized and like type a type people (laughs) from like my lazy summer self to like now it's a huge contrast but it's like a fun one yeah does it stop being fun and it's just like oh it's this um problem solving challenge and you said you took away some things off your list and you had deciding what to to back off back away from and then what what you wanted to add that sounds difficult yeah that's always like a difficult thing because I feel like a lot of the time especially here at Stanford like students want to make everything of the same priority and that's never really the case where like I have to think about like oh what's gonna stress me out the most and what can I like get done but still feel like in a good mental space to get done um, are the things that I will always prioritize or things that I felt like will move me along to a happier place I'll prioritize those as well so yeah how do you know which one will um I imagine myself like doing that task and I imagine myself at the end of the task and I see if like that end task is truly worth like what like during that task looks like so sometimes it'll be like super stressful like um like imagination of like what I'm going to be doing the task to be like but the end is like I'm much more like happier then I'm like okay like maybe I do have to like risk just being uncomfortable for a little bit or it's like I can see like a task that's really difficult and see that it's not really going to get me out of anything or like make me move along with my day then it might not be a task that should be happening like right now in a stressful moment yeah it's okay I feel like people are gonna learn to like yeah yeah or they'll be like I can relate <laughs> do that are you an undergrad too yeah I'm an undergraduate I'm a sophomore currently so yeah so what did you from your first year to now what do you feel is difference in how you're approaching this year um I feel like Last year was more of just like I never knew what was coming even though like it all relatively stays the same like after mid of fall quarter I was like oh gosh like you know like each day I was like taking it as the days come but I feel like now that I've gotten used to sort of the groove of like what I want my life to be like as a student I can like plan things a lot better and like 
sort of just like not be so uncertain about each quarter like there's still uncertainty obviously but like I'm a little less like oh no my life is <laughs> could go off the rails immediately <laughs> like now I'm like oh I'm going to be fine and like this is just another year of like having an opportunity to learn like a lot which is really cool yeah that's a great such a great answer <laughs> <laughs> yeah have a good time um going through everything and through the year yeah thank you I'm a frost, yeah, so the transition has been pretty smooth because I did a summer program here um, that lasted a month before orientation. Um, like, I was a part of the Leland Scholars program, so then that's for, like, first-generation low-income students to, like, easily transition to Stanford, show them the different resources that are here for us. Um, and I think that's helped me a lot um, since we also took, like, academic classes with, like, Stanford professors, um, we got to practice our writing, our math skills as well, um, and that helped us a lot, yeah. So what's it been like for you? Um, what's going through your mind and your energy level, stress levels, or just planning, learning, everything? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm thinking about the clubs that I'm joining. I've already joined a few things. Um, like, I'm on Frosh Council. Um, I'm thinking of auditioning for the Salsa group on campus because I am Latinx. And yeah, stress levels aren't too high yet since it's only the second week. Um, I do have a midterm in two weeks for chemistry though, so anxiety is creeping up for that. <laughs> but aside from that, everything's going well. I've made quite a few friends um, and we have lunch almost every day. Um, and yeah, my dorm community is also really nice. The, uh, my RAs, they're always planning different things for us. Um, and there are just so many resources here that I just can't wait to take advantage of. What do you do to sense how you're doing and how to take care of yourself. Yeah, so I journal um, whenever I feel like I need to. Like, I know I have that. Um, but if I don't see myself, like, having time to journal, um, usually, like, today that I only have a class, one class um, in the morning, I will go to the gym, and then I will go to Windhover, which is a contemplative meditation center here. Um, and I find Windhover to be a great resource for, like, just to like turn off um, myself away from like society and just think about um, myself in that context. How have you been finding what the groups that you might be interested in? Are you spending a lot of time looking? Are you in conversation with others? Or there's been a lot of outreach that helped make it easier? It's mostly through outreach since I'm on like mailing list for, as I said, like LSP um, and the fly community here. So I've been engaging a lot with the first generation low income fly community, um, with the fly office and with El Centro Latinx, which is like for Latinx, Chicanx um, individuals since like that's what I identify as and that's like that's where I can find um the people that I can relate to the most okay I have to okay thanks so much yeah have a good time you too have (laughs) a nice day um so I'm a freshman I live in Roble I just got here two weeks ago um it's been a blast actually uh first time ever dropping a class um that was like something um but I have really great roommates. I've made a lot of great friends. Of course, you meet a lot of people, and, you know, it's surface level. So uh, I'm really just trying to find a really good core group of people that I can relate with. Uh, I joined the cast of Gaties, um, which is the big musical here, and uh, that's been a lot of fun. I've been meeting a lot of great people who I know already have a very set interest that I do. 
Um, I've been trying to establish a routine. What's really nice here is I don't have class till 10.30, so I wake up at like 9 o'clock every day. Um, this is the first time where I've actually gotten a consistent eight hours of sleep. So college has been pretty nice in that. I'm learning to manage my time. You know, there's no mom and dad over my shoulders. So doing my laundry, cleaning my room, folding my clothes, uh, making sure, you know, I take a shower every night. That's all up to me. So it's definitely a really big balancing act. It's different being on your own. But so far, it's been a lot of fun, and I hope it continues to be a lot of fun. What's your thought process of how you're going to handle the day, what your plan is, how you'll decompress? So, um... It's all about time management, so uh, between rehearsals and going to class, I try to find, okay, what is my one hour chunk of time where I can go eat lunch, or I can go eat dinner, or where is my two hours I can devote to doing my math B-set? It's really looking at that schedule you have for yourself and placing those things that you need to do in that schedule and just getting it done. Uh, Definitely having a whiteboard in my room and just listing all the things I need to get done for the day has been super helpful. How is it predicting how long it'll take you to do something or what kind of mood or energy level or how much focus you might have or maybe the best time to do certain things for you? It sounds like it takes a lot of practice to figure that out or or to know yourself well enough to be self-aware. Um, I'm really trying to push myself. So back in high school, uh, you know, I got home at night. I just do my homework after dinner. I don't have that kind of luxury anymore. Uh, sometimes you figure out, oh, you know, I have two hours to myself at 8 a.m. in the morning. I got to do homework then. So I really have to push myself to be like, okay, I got to do work in a time where I wouldn't usually have done work if I was still in high school. So, you know, just planning out that schedule and being like, okay, I really got to get this done in this amount of time because tomorrow things aren't necessarily going to look the same. If you were to keep a journal of what your life was like today, kind of like a time capsule, yeah, like this time in your life, like if someone were to play it back for you, or if you were to find a box and you're like, wow, and you can re-experience the memories of it. Like if I had a time capsule right now, things that, you know, I find meaningful to me, uh, or at least like memory-wise, like, you know, if I could have that little track played back, I'm definitely, uh, definitely going to Gaty's rehearsal has been uh, something I'd put in that time capsule. Uh, I've been doing a lot of partying. Uh, people here party on Wednesday, so, um, you know, having that party moment in my time capsule, too. Uh, and there's been a lot of moments in class, you know. Um, the most fun class I have all day is surprisingly my math class. It's not necessarily the, the material, but, like, the people that I sit with, and it's just, like, a really good time, uh, you know, making new friends. So, uh, you know, if I had to put things in my time capsule for today, that would be, that would be it. Of course, I'm a freshman. I just, like, started out, and I'm going through that process of finding myself, finding the things I like to do. I've already been very blessed to be part of an amazing cast, and I'm hoping that everything else that I love to do, I can, I can continue. And it seems like there are a lot of people here who have found their niche, and I'm trying to find my niche, too. This is KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford, and you've been listening to KZSU Central. The Relatively Roundtable. See you next week, but stay tuned. We'll have music for you and more. Have a great weekend, everyone.